Welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast. I'm Roxanne Varza, and I'm here with Tech.eu editor Robin Waters. Hi, Robin. Hey, Roxanne. How are you? Good. So this week, we have a great lineup of topics, including Rovio's financials for H1 of 2016. Actually, not too bad. Mozilla has invested in German startup called Clicks. Latvia seeks to double its startups by 2020. And Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Daniel Blom from Creandum in Sweden, so we'll listen to that. And finally, we'll end the podcast with a discussion on encryption in Europe as France and Germany both call for decryption. So let's jump right in with Rovio's H1 Financials. Uh, The Finland-based company that is best known for its Angry Birds game says it has seen profitable growth and brought in 76.4 million euros in revenue in the first half of this year. That number also comes before the financials of the Angry Birds movie hit the books. The movie, which we covered actually in a previous podcast when it first came out, apparently brought in just under $350 million worldwide. I think roughly one-third of that was actually done in the U.S. So that's not too bad for a film that cost $73 million to produce. Rovio's earnings are up 10.3 million euros compared with this time last year. Also, what's noteworthy is that the games business is particularly strong with about 24% year-on-year growth. There are rumors that Rovio is already planning a sequel to the Angry Birds movie. I think that's kind of quick, but Obviously, they should capitalize on it. And some other Rovio-related news, the former CEO of Angry Birds, Pekka Rantala, has apparently been tapped by HMD to relaunch Nokia handsets in the mobile market. So he'll be joining HMD as CMO. Yep, lots of stuff happening over there in Helsinki. So good financial results for Rovio, uh, certainly. Uh, kind of unexpected, to be honest. Um, but as always, there are, all, there are also a few things to take into account. Um, first of all, 10 million euro jump compared to the first half of uh, last year isn't that much when you consider that Rovio launched uh, Angry Birds 2, which is the big sequel to the, the original game during this period. Uh, they marketed heavily. It was very aggressively monetized as well. So I was kind of expecting a bigger jump. But then I didn't expect them to be profitable in the first half either. So, but then, you know, profitability gets a little easier when you make significant layoffs to cut costs, uh, which Rovio has certainly done in the past two years. I think last round was 260 people alone that they can't. So, you know, it gets easier to be profitable when you're a smaller company and, you know, you can kind of build on the success of previous games. Now, on the other hand, as you mentioned, the income from the movie still needs to be accounted for. It's doing well. So I'm eagerly awaiting the financial results. Obviously, the $350 million that you quoted is gross revenue. So we'll see how that translates to actual profits. You know, you the cost of the movie to produce is one thing, but they also marketed it quite heavily around the world. So, you know, there's a, a cost involved as well. We don't really know what they spend on it. So, so we'll have to see when they, they announce their results at the end of the year. But the fact that they're already planning the sequel, which... I didn't know before the financial earnings announcement, may have missed it. But that tells me that they're pretty happy over in Helsinki with the success of the Angry Birds flick. So we'll have to see how that actually translates into, you know, the second half of this year, which I think will be more interesting to see. Yeah, a lot of uh, really good points. You have to kind of read between the lines, I guess, for a lot of this stuff. So we'll have to pay attention and see what happens uh, with Rovio moving forward. 
Now, Mozilla has recently invested in Clicks, a German company that develops a private search browser. They develop an anti-tracking browser with a pro-privacy quick search kind of built-in feature. In German-speaking markets, the product has already 1 million users on desktop and on mobile with a Firefox browser and a browser extension. The size of Mozilla's investment was not disclosed, but in the announcement, they stated they would become a strategic minority investor. This, for me, was a huge surprise. I'm not aware of a lot of Mozilla investments. Robin, are you aware of any other startup investments that they may have made? No, not really. But for the podcast, I looked it up. So according to some sources, they've made three investments so far in companies. Um, two of those were in 2012. Uh, one of those was Everything Me, which is kind of like a very hyped Tel Aviv startup that recently closed. So that wasn't a very successful investment. Uh, then there was another one in 2012 and then nothing until now. Um, so it's a rare move for Mozilla to, to make investments in, in companies. But, and I also didn't know clicks, by the way, even though they've amassed already 1 million users. I, this is the first time I've heard of the company. It looks right up Mozilla's alley. The clicks browser is built on top of Firefox for one. But also the, the company's stated mission is not to track browser users. Um, you know, they're building their own search index, which is incredibly difficult. They make money from ad targeting data that doesn't even use the browser. So, so they're kind of very pro-privacy, anti-tracking, open internet uh, minded, which is uh, totally up Mozilla's alley, I guess. Um, I'm quoting the CEO of the company who spoke to TechCrunch uh, when they announced the news. He said, our business model does not need tracking because we are on the user's device and their intents and interests remain there. The advantage of the browser is that it doesn't need to track server side. Um, very interesting, but it also makes it very, very difficult to monetize. Um, we'll have to see if they can pull it off. But apparently Mozilla agrees and they believe in the German company, so we'll have to see. Yeah, I think uh, really interesting as well that we have some of these companies that can get such big user bases and kind of remain under the radar like that. Um, really good that Mozilla picked them up and is, is working with them. Now, it seems that every week or so, we have a new European country that's announcing an initiative to promote startups and entrepreneurship in the country. Obviously, really good news. This week, the country is Latvia. Uh, apparently, Latvia is currently in the process of developing its own startup program. One of the main objectives that they've revealed is to double the number of startups by 2020. When I heard that number, it sounded really far away, but actually that's only three and a half years away. So the Latvian Ministry of Economics is said to be putting in 60 million into acceleration and fund programs. Uh, half of this money will go strictly into seed and pre-seed investments. The rest will be dedicating to accelerating up to 150 startups starting next year. Latvia's 2 million population currently counts something like 240 startups. But when you compare that actually with neighboring countries like Estonia, who has a 1.3 million population, they have doubled the number of startups. So I think it's a pretty reasonable goal for Latvia to be looking at these numbers. Actually, both Latvia and Lithuania are looking at catching up with Estonia. And I think they'll be leveraging a lot of the same tactics that we see in other countries. There's a lot of talk about bringing in foreign talent. Obviously, we've mentioned uh, putting money into seed money, acceleration, things like that. So I think we can kind of expect to see kind of replicants of what we've seen in other startup programs in other countries. Have you ever been to Latvia, Roxanne? No, I had a Latvian pen pal when I was like five. <laughs> and that has been the closest I've ever gotten to the country. <laughs> yeah, same here. Um, to my shame, I have to say I've never been to Latvia. But now I'm even more eager to pay a visit to the country and check out the local startup scene. It's obviously an interesting initiative by the government. It's similar to many we've already seen in smaller ecosystems, particularly in the Baltic or uh, Central Eastern European region. 
which ultimately should provide a foundation for more to come. That's, I think, the goal for these initiatives is to kind of, you know, start something and then see what happens and kind of adjust and iterate in the same way that startups kind of build businesses, right? But we'll see. We will have a bigger group of early stage startups um, coming out of Latvia, uh, and hopefully some of them will have the potential to grow into more sizable companies that make a dent uh, worldwide. So we'll have to see. Uh, but you can argue that there's already some saturation in Europe when it comes to all of these early stage startup initiatives, hackathons, accelerators, incubators, and whatnot. But ultimately, as a government, you know, you have a decision to make. Do you want to give more people a chance to become an entrepreneur and to build a viable business as, you know, first-time founder or a graduate uh, straight from school? Or do you want to sit by the sidelines and kind of see while neighboring countries like Estonia get international recognition for their efforts and actually some, some very internationally well-known companies come out of there as well. So I think that's a no-brainer. The smart choice is to do something and learn as you go along and also double down on companies with the potential to scale up in the future. So we'll see in the next few years what this initiative actually produces. Um, on a side note, I think it's also great for Latvia to try and get foreign entrepreneurs to consider Riga, the capital, as their startup hub of choice to build their companies. I think that's sort of cute. It won't be an easy sell. You know, it's, it's a very nice country, I'm sure, but it's also a Baltic state. So, so there's so many options now in Europe for entrepreneurs to choose from where they want to build their companies. Uh, Riga wants you know, want to plant their flag and say, you know, you can also come to Latvia, which I think is nice. Um, and it's nice that they thought of this when they developed this initiative, but, uh, you know, it remains to be seen how popular this will be with foreign uh, entrepreneurs. Yeah, I kind of agree with you. There is starting to get a little bit of saturation, but I do also think it has a really strong cultural impact on entrepreneurship within each country. We have a lot of ecosystems that I think the reflex of a kind of young graduates is to go into a big corporation, not to, to fund or found a company. And so hopefully this will also have an impact on that. And I love that you said uh, Riga is a cute option. <laughs> so we'll have to see how many people chose to relocate there. Now, Robin, you had a chance to catch up with Daniel Blomkist of Creandum. So hey, this is Robin Waters from uh, TechEU. I'm here at the Brilliant Minds Conference in Stockholm, Sweden. And here with a local investor, Creandum. Daniel, tell us more about Creandum. So we're an um, early-stage uh, venture capital firm based in Stockholm and uh, San Francisco. And uh, we've been around now for 13 years, investing in primarily Nordic-originated uh, great uh, startups. Yeah. Name some. <laughs> so we were first investor in Spotify, which of course has made a big impact on people's lives. Other, uh, I mean, we have a number of great companies, including iSettle, Vivino, more well-known on the, on the consumer side. Uh, there are some really cool uh, tech companies like Neo Technology. We have marketplaces like Sineta or Norway, Kahoot in the education sector. Mm. So a lot of interesting mm. portfolio. It's a pretty good portfolio right there. Mm. So you're obviously quite focused on the Nordics. Um, is there anything in particular that you look at in terms of verticals? So we're pretty broad. I think our thesis has been that uh, let's, let's try and back the best entrepreneurs coming out of the region or sort of entrepreneurs with, which have a connection to the Nordic region, wherever they might be. And that has been more important than a specific sector. But we have done a lot of investments in, say, music, games, fintech, uh, marketplaces. So definitely the verticals of focus areas that we've uh, looked at and that we know really well. But in general, the next great Skype or Spotify might be in a completely different sector. So sure. I think our job is to, to try and know help these entrepreneurs build build the, the, the greatest companies they, they they can in in the broad tech sector so 13 years focused on seed and series a yeah. uh, that means you've seen all the different stages that the nordics have gone through yeah. in terms yeah. of like entrepreneurship and investments what do you think is the most exciting trend from the last two three years that you've noticed 
So I think the biggest development, if I look back, say, since I started doing venture nine, ten years ago, is really the, the amount of entrepreneurs that have you know, a big ambition. So through the, the Scouts and the Spotify's, those role models have set the bar very high. And people now building companies, they're looking at those companies and those founders and, and, and they have the ambition to build something similar. And I think at the same time, entrepreneurship has really emerged as something which is you know, pretty much the first choice for a lot of people that previously went into banking or consulting or you know, joined big companies. Now they want to they be entrepreneurs, they want to build some, some really cool companies. And that's a big change. I think we're seeing that not only in the Nordics, but across Europe, that that's a much wider and, and, and wider audience of people who, who really want to be entrepreneurs. I agree. So we obviously cover Europe. So we mm-hmm. see, and a lot of the conversation, especially from, from outside of the region, when they look in, they identify the interesting startup hubs as Berlin mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Paris and London for good reason. Tel Aviv is an obvious one. Mm-hmm. But then the Nordics always get cited in the same list, uh, mm-hmm. you know, especially uh, Helsinki and Stockholm, I guess. Mm-hmm. Why do you think that is? Because these are countries with small populations, mm-hmm. comparable to the very, very small countries in Eastern Europe, but not that many yeah, yeah. Um, entrepreneurs are building these category leaders. So, so what do you think? This is a question that's been asked over and over yeah. again, but I really want to know what makes like places like Stockholm and then Helsinki so so much of a almost a petri dish for unicorns. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and, and to your point, I think the Nordic has been producing fifty percent of Europe's billion dollar exits the last ten years, which is sort of a, an amazing number mm-hmm. for a small region. I think it comes back to that a I mean it is small small home markets. So for a long, long time there is a tradition of building things international from a very early stage. And and now when we have like more digital economies, that helps even more. You, you can sort of get to a global category leadership from Europe or even from the Nordics. That was harder uh, 10, 15, 20 years ago. So I think that's helped. And also the fact that there have been a sort of several waves of entrepreneurs. So we're in the 90s of a lot of internet entrepreneurs, for example, in Stockholm. And if you look at the roots of Spotify, that goes back to even the 90s. So serial entrepreneurs that sort of, they're doing this for the third or fourth time. And we just had a bunch of people doing that pretty early on. And also Sweden was deregulated heavily in the early 90s. So in the telco space and TV space and a lot of the what we now are seeing sort of tech um, disrupted markets were derailed early on here and people were sort of getting getting experience early on. Yeah, in, lots in of opportunities. Lots of opportunities. And, and coupled that with a um, actually a um, you know, pretty well-established safety net which makes the risk of being an entrepreneur yeah. pretty and, low. And you low can low say rates. lots of capital as well from different no, it's, sources. It's, it's, there's been sort of enough capital, good education system, good tech talent. And, and I think Sweden and Helsinki both portray, which is a Nordic trait, that um, you have good technology coupled with good design and, and sort yeah, of creativity. Of creative and that, uh, that I think has helped as well in terms of getting products that works on a global scale and not sort of just on, on the domestic on the yeah. domestic market. Yes, good answer. You forgot to mention the long, dark winters. Yeah, yeah, when people are keeps, sitting in a basement coding. Yeah, they keep developers inside. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right, well, Daniel, thank you very much and best of luck with Crandom. Thank you so much. And finally, encryption. It's a topic that made a lot of noise in the U.S. after the San Bernardino terrorist attack. Uh, Now the topic has arrived in Europe, where both Germany and France are asking for a decryption law to be able to advance criminal investigations. Obviously, I don't think it needs a lot of explaining. This comes as both France and Germany are hit by terrorist attacks. Both countries are moving forward in their investigations, but they find a lot of data is encrypted or difficult to decipher. Interior ministers have called for specific decryption 
encryption laws to apply when the info needs to be retrieved by security services. It seems that one application that's particularly problematic is Telegram, for which the state security agencies have actually said they have no contact. Obviously, companies want end-to-end encryption. State agencies are pushing for backdoors. Robin, what's your take on this? Yeah, it's a very tough balancing act, uh, this one. I wouldn't say the topic has arrived in Europe. It's kind of always been a topic, but it always springs up when these terrorist attacks or other tragedies uh, happen. There are always uh, you know, new people calling for, for similar laws. Um, you see that in the UK, you see it in France, you see it in Germany now, but also like in smaller countries, even in Belgium, uh, where I'm from. Um, you know, after the terrorist attacks, there were calls for, for this kind of legislation. So you're always going to have people lobbying for laws that make it easier to conduct criminal investigations, um, which is, you know, on itself, it's difficult to be against better crime fighting abilities. But on the other hand, where does it end, right? Encryption has its flaws, but it also has a ton of benefits. And it's, uh, you know, we, we have a right to privacy. So, so it's a very, very tough balancing act. Um, I'm quoting the European Director of the Computer and Communications Industry Association, um, Christian Borggreen. So he talked to TechCrunch about the news and he had this to say, we are worried that EU proposals can allow governments to challenge end-to-end encryption and thus threaten the security and confidentiality of Europeans' communications. So that's where it all comes down to, right? You want to have, you know, good crime-finding abilities. You want to be able to track terrorists. You want to be able to decipher their communications when something happens or happens. But then you also have to balance balance it with the millions and millions of people who are using these applications for normal things, right? I find it a little bit repulsive, to be honest, that some politicians feel the need to throw this type of proposal into the public sphere, you know, immediately following these terrorist attacks or other tragedies. I think encryption, privacy, uh, they're usually important topics. They need to be well thought out. Uh, Emotions shouldn't be coming into play. So um, decrypting apps means making them accessible to law enforcement and intelligence agencies, but it also leaves the door kind of open for hackers and ironically terrorists. I don't know how about you, how you feel about this, Roxanne, but I certainly want to use apps with end-to-end decryption if they offer it uh, with no backdoors um, to protect my electronic communication, not because I have anything to hide, of course, but because I feel that's my right, not just as a European, but as a human being, right? So it's a bit of a slippery slope. Uh, I'm sure we'll see many more proposals and discussions and loss even around this all across Europe in the near future. Um, But, uh, you know, we have to keep the debate going and we have to keep uh, everything into consideration and not just talk about the good sides of decryption, but also the bad sides of it. Yeah, I agree with you. It's super controversial. And I kind of sit halfway on the fence. I definitely want the protection of my data. And I think that everybody has a right to that. At the same time, you kind of have this like want to you know, make sure that everybody's safe. And if they need to obtain this information, how do they go about doing it? Really hard. And I also think Telegram with kind of the stance that they're taking is sitting on a really difficult position. So um, I agree with you, we have to keep the debate going. And I don't think there's an easy solution at all. No, that's true. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you all for listening. You can follow us on Twitter. We're at Roxanne Varza and at Robin Waters. You can also follow on TechEU. We're at Tech underscore EU. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back next week. Thanks, Roxanne. Thanks, Robin.